Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the, the lead pastor here, and we are so glad you decided to uh, worship with us. I hope uh, even so far uh, you have been encouraged, at least for me, uh, as we sing songs to God, uh, whether you're near God or, or far from Him, it, it actually paints a reality that there's hope uh, beyond ourself. And as we sing those songs, it's, it's actually true. Um, we can sing praises uh, to him, and we can build our life on the foundation that is, is Christ. And so uh, we're so glad you've decided to come and to worship, and we're going to spend some time uh, speaking some more from God's Word uh, related to uh, wisdom. And we've been uh, here the last few weeks uh, on this series called uh, The Edge. And if you've been here uh, all of the week so far, this will be like a recap. If you've missed any, this will hopefully uh, catch you up. Uh, but I want to just give you a little bit of a recap of uh, what we've been talking about. And so we kicked off the series. Uh, here's a series review. We, we kicked off the series a few weeks ago talking about The Edge. That's the title of the sermon series, and that was also the title of that sermon. And that is alluding to Ecclesiastes, which talks about how a dull axe uh, requires more strength unless it is sharpened. And then it says, but wisdom, wisdom brings success. And so the whole concept of the edge is that we can live life without wisdom, and we're like an ax that is dull. Oh, we may be able to make some progress, and we may be able to make some of an impact, but real success is not found in just doing the same things over again. We, we need an edge. We need to be sharpened. And wisdom from God's word is what sharpens us. So that's what this series has been about. That was the first week. The second week... It's a snapshot of the wise, and Ben Montgomery uh, spoke and just gave picture of this is what a wise person uh, looks like. And what Scripture does repeatedly, it continues to paint a picture of God's ways so that we can learn, but also to paint a picture uh, so that we can compare kind of where we are and what we do and how we see life compared to what the Scriptures say. So it's, it's very instructive and informative. And in that, Ben talked about how a wise person, they, they live a good life. They walk carefully, they walk exactly, they want to please God, and that they have gumption. And gumption is not a word that we use a lot today, but it's a person who, who takes initiative uh, with good judgment. Uh, they don't just live haphazardly, they don't just react to life. They have a sense of how God works, and they want to see him work in the world in which they live. That's what a wise person is. And then last week, we talked about a contrast of strategies, and for me at least personally, to learn about wisdom, it's helpful to look at the opposite. And what's the opposite of wisdom? Foolishness or folly, what the scriptures say. And last week I talked about how the foolish person, which all of us have folly in our hearts, that's a stubborn determination to get what we want. We're all born with that. What we leave in our wake is usually like a tornado of destruction. And so there's actually things we can learn from that as well. And so the contrast in strategies is comparing maybe the tornado of folly to the gentle breeze of wisdom. But the scriptures do that not just so we have these pictures to compare. The scriptures do this so that we can see that these are actually paths for which we walk on. Wisdom is actually something that you don't just understand. You don't just learn about like you're in school. You're going to have a quiz. No, it's, it's actually wisdom is teaching. It's crying out. And it's waiting for all who would listen. In fact, wisdom is often personified in Scripture. And so as we're digging into this series, I hope so far if you've missed it, um, you can catch up. And I just want to remind people in case you're, you're new to Ridgeview, but here's a way that you can stream a Ridgeview content. Um, if you ever miss a Sunday on our watch page, we have all of our resources. Uh, and also, we are on YouTube and podcasts. So if you'd like to, to listen on your way to work, you can always catch up to a sermon if you miss it. You just search for Ridgeview Church Fontana. If you want to see our service, you can subscribe to uh, our YouTube page. Uh, this is just a way for you to, to catch up. Uh, we live in a time now where you uh, can miss a Sunday, but you can still learn. Back in the day, if you missed a Sunday, it was like, well, you missed that. But now you can actually catch up. So I encourage you, uh, kind of stream with us the different ways, and then also uh, share with, with people in your life. They may not be ready to come to church, uh, but God still may want to speak to them. And so as you share, uh, there may be something that God does through his word, which he does often and again and again, that could really call someone forward. So I encourage you, uh, if you missed, you can catch up and you can also uh, share that. So today I want to start uh, talking about the God who is there. And this is really uh, how our God concept, who we think God is or not, 
how that impacts our life. So it's further clarity of, of wisdom. But I want to start with kind of some two uh, keys. And you keep coming back here again and again. So these are like overarching ideas, and there, there are two of them. The first, uh, I'm going to skip that for a second. But the first is this, um, the right assumptions about God and his ways. These are the two keys to wisdom, the right assumptions about God and his ways. Uh, you and I each have assumptions. That is how we think life works. But two keys to wisdom is that you have the right assumptions. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. How do the right assumptions about God and his ways actually lead us on the path of wisdom? And then number two is this, a heart willing to trust and obey God. So this is where it's more than just a conceptual understanding. You learn more about wisdom. But the key to wisdom is not only the right assumptions, but that you're willing to take those assumptions, learn wisdom's ways, and actually put it into practice. And back to that slide you just saw, a heart willing to trust and obey God. We're going to be starting in two weeks a new series called uh, The Pursuit. So we've been setting it up, calling the edge, right? How do we see what wisdom is? How do we understand wisdom? How do we learn? What does it mean to sharpen your life? But then we're going to spend four more weeks talking about The Pursuit. How do you actually get wisdom into your life? And so we're going to start that two weeks from today. Some people know that as Super Bowl Sunday. But that's not nearly as important as this. Thank you for that. And they start late enough so you can do both, right? But the pursuit is so important because it's not just understanding and knowledge. It's living. And that's what we focus at Ridgeview. Every Sunday we come and we anticipate that we're going to hear from the living God. And as his word is spoken to us, and as we consider his ways, and as we humble ourselves to, to listen to him, if we do what he says, we will live a different life. That's why we're here. It's more than just knowledge. It has to be transformative. And so I hope you'll join us for this new series. I think it will be a real help. One other plug. Ben talked about this. But uh, all of our groups are going to be doing this book called Seven Weeks of Wisdom. And in this book, there's daily readings. And basically, over the, what I've talked about on this series and what we're going to talk about in the next series, The Pursuit, has this content that you yourself can uh, wrestle with and chew on and think more about. And then you can do it in the context of a group. I don't know about you, but I need more wisdom in my life. I don't need less. I need more. And so this is a key way that you can practically get wisdom into your life by, by learning and then being in a group of people that the current of that group as they're pursuing wisdom together, uh, it pulls you along. We live in a time where it's so easy to be isolated, right? Anyone struggle with isolation, being alone, feeling alone, right? Thank you. And so what groups do is it, it actually challenges us because none of us want to be isolated, but you also, it's easy to be isolated. You know what I mean? You don't have to work at that. You want to be isolated? Stay at home and do nothing. There you go. You achieved that goal. But to get pulled along to the right things, to learn more about this heart that's willing to learn and trust and obey God, it actually takes work. And by the grace of God, we can grow and we can change. But oftentimes, it takes a group of people that help us. And so I encourage you, uh, sign up for a group uh, if, if you haven't. So those are just some big ideas, two keys, the right assumptions about God. That's what I'm going to talk about today, a heart willing to trust and obey God. I'm going to talk about that next week and in the next series. I want to share a, a scripture with you that, that is, is very sobering to me personally. Uh, the scriptures do that, like it hits you upside the head, um, and it's Proverbs 9.12. Uh, let's read this together. I'm going to count to three, and we'll, we'll read it out loud. One, two, three. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. Do you ever read scriptures like that, and you're like, I wonder what it's saying? The reason I say that is, is oftentimes what scripture does is it cuts right through if you want to know the truth, you can find it. God, God tells you. And here, the reminder is we live in a cause and effect universe. We tend to live uh, with this assumption that we're not in a cause and effect universe, like we're not in a cause and effect culture. That is, I can do whatever I want, and I can go in any direction that I want, and I'll still end up in the right place. That's actually not wise. Because what Scripture says, you will end up in the right place if you go the way of wisdom, if you learn. 
But if you scorn wisdom, what it means is actually to mock, to joke. That is, God is clear with his commands. He's clear on his guidance. He's clear on where he wants to lead us. But if you live with this understanding, like, I can actually do whatever I want. God's not close. In fact, his word is outdated. It's antique. It doesn't fit culture. It doesn't fit my life. We're actually making a mockery of him and of wisdom. And what the scriptures say is you will be the one to suffer. This is showing up again and again in our world right now. A lot of times when you see the lives of people suffering and destroyed, oftentimes it's traced to a lot of choices that we make that are not the way of wisdom. And even if they have not done it personally, oftentimes suffering is related to people that have done things to them. So this, this scripture, it, it actually kind of makes me stand up a little straighter. Wow, this is serious. I need, to, I need to give attention to this. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. That is the sharpened of the edge. It, it will happen. But if you scorn it, if you ignore it, if you delay it, if you don't think it's real, you'll be the one to suffer. So this is like God's way of like, wake up. Wake up, my people. If you learn and if you listen, like, I will I will show you that. So this, this verse challenges me uh, personally. And I want to talk about how this kind of translates into uh, two realities. I've talked about two keys to wisdom, but here's, here's two realities about life. Uh, I think all of us would agree with this. What we assume affects what we do. You guys agree with that? What we assume, that, that is how we see things, perspective, Ben talked about that, how we see things affects what we do. Yeah, it's true. And all of us do it. We all have assumptions, and it affects what we do. But this is important as well. What we do impacts what happens to us, okay? So all of us, we assume, and it affects what we do in every area of life. And then what we actually do, based on our assumptions, based on what we see, how we think life works, what makes sense to us, it impacts us. It impacts our families. It impacts our kids. It's cause and effect. This is real. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a paradigm that I heard from a mentor of mine. In fact, uh, he's the guy that wrote this book, Seven Weeks of Wisdom. His name's Harold Bullock. And he has a paradigm that he calls a true versus real. And I've shared this with some of you, but it's very helpful for me. I think oftentimes in uh, Christianity and in the church, maybe even in our country, we have like this concept of God that's true. Like, he, you know, he's like the, the big guy upstairs. You ever heard that? Like he's there. Maybe he's, he's there some, somehow like conceptually, like there's this higher power and spiritual, and it's kind of vague. But like he, he's there. So for most of us, God is, is true. But God actually has to be real as well. Real is based on what's true, the knowledge, it impacts what I do. I want to give an example of this. I, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. I was in uh, Las Vegas. And my son had a soccer tournament. And uh, we were there. And one night, uh, my wife and our daughter decided, like, let's go check out some of the, you know, the flashy casinos. Let's just see what they have to, to offer. I mean, we weren't gambling, but just to go see. You know, it's like a, a free museum. That's how I say it. Um, and so we're, we're driving, and I, we have an expedition, an SUV, and I have like a roof rack on top of it. And as we're driving, I, I'm pulling into like some parking. We're looking for free parking. Parking's expensive. We're pulling into free parking. And we pull in, and we're going to this parking structure. And all of a sudden, a true and real hit me for the first time, like in a real way related to the clearance of the height of your car. Normally, as I drive on the freeway, I see like 19 feet, two inches, right? I'm like, I don't drive a semi. That isn't, it, it's true. That is the, the height of that freeway overpass, but I don't care because my car is short. All of a sudden, when I was driving into this parking structure, a new truth of clearance hit me when it said 7-2. And I started to think, and then as I was asked from somebody in my family, do you know what the height of our roof rack on top of our expedition is? And all of a sudden, I realized I, I did not have that information, but I thought it was probably close to seven foot something. And all of a sudden, we're literally driving into this structure with a clearance at 7-2, and I'm stuck. And I pull forward 
And you know, usually for me, this is like full disclosure, when I'm driving and stress increases, I usually make worse decisions. Some of you, when stress increases when you're driving, you like, you can really maneuver. Me, I'm just kind of like freaking out. And this is supposed to be like fun time connecting with my, my daughter and wife. And we're driving and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And, and it's like, well, you got to back up. But I can't, there's a car coming and a car is backing up. And so I'm literally like stuck. I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. And so I literally just pulled over the median in my car and just drove over it. Something scraped. I think it was probably an engine part. And I just, and you know, and I've got all these people that are just looking at me. And you know, I'm, feel, I'm embarrassed and I'm just, just tearing up the place, get out of there. And my wife's like, let's just go home. And I'm like, I know, I want to go home too. You know, and it was just, it was just a great time together. The reason I bring that up is, is oftentimes it takes that for things to become real. I will never look again at the clearance of things and not think about that. And I will never park in a structure with a roof rack on my expedition ever again. In fact, if you look in the parking lot, my roof rack is no longer on my expedition. I had a true and real. It impacted me. What I'm talking about today is not just true. It has to be real. That is, it impacts what I do. It impacts whether I move forward. It impacts how I detour. It impacts how I pivot. It has to be true, and it has to be real. And so today... The title is The God Who Is There, The True God. And then how can that be real in my life so that wisdom can actually flow in? So remember the first part about wisdom is like there's assumptions. So I want to share wisdom's assumptions about God. Like how do they see, how does wisdom approach God and that that God concept? It's very important. And in turn, how do we see the same way? If we want to go the path of wisdom, then we need to see things the same way. So let's start. The first, four assumptions that underlie wisdom's approach to life. Put that on there. Four assumptions that underlie wisdom's approach to life. The first is this. God is creator. So right off the bat, if you want to have wisdom, but you don't believe God is real or working in the world or that he's there, you're already going the path of foolishness. That's what the scriptures say. Uh, Romans a really helpful passage in Romans 1. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Now, them here is referring to all of mankind. You, me, everyone in the past, everyone in the future. So everyone is included in this. For what, God, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they all of us, everyone in the past, in the future, are without excuse. So what the scriptures are saying is there is never a time that anyone has been created by God that they don't have some sort of a framework for his existence. It's actually talking about we're accountable to that knowledge. This shows up, when it says plain to them, it shows up in two ways. The first is, is in us. God as creator is actually in us. The reason is we are made in his image. That's what the scriptures say. We are different than any other thing that was created. As humans, we're made in his image. We have value, actually, above the animals and the plants and the trees. They're not made in the image of God. They're made by God, but they're not made in his image. So as humans, what that means is there's actually conscience that we have. Even at a young age, if you sneak something, you have a sense that you shouldn't do it, right? Like you kind of want to hide or if your parents ask you something, even at your one years old, did you throw the spaghetti on the wall? There's something in you you don't know how to answer. There's a conscience working like of, well, I did do that, and I probably should tell the truth. But maybe they think it's cute, and I'll lie. This is kind of going on. It's, it's related to our conscience. So that in us is this, this sense of we're, we're moral beings. The scripture also says there's eternity written in our hearts. If you enjoy movies like I do, one of the things that I enjoy about movies is a challenge that the characters face and overcoming the challenge and finding meaning and finding purpose. That's a part of actually being made in the image of God. We have something that we long for. There's something we're, we're wanting to find. There's a purpose that's beyond us. 
There's a purpose outside of us. And every movie is trying to figure out how can we leverage that because it draws us in. And most movies just find that within a relationship or find that within success or overcoming the odds. But the scriptures say, actually, that's part of being made in his image. You have eternity that's written. There's a longing for your life that is just wired in to you as a human. That's part of God's invisible attributes being written in you. So we have this knowledge and concept of God. The second is it's revealed to us in creation. This power, this invisible attributes. Now, how many of you like sunrises? You like sunrises? How many of you like sunsets? Which one do you like? Like sunsets, you know, because you don't have to wake up as early, right? But there's something, to me at least, when I see a sunset, that all I look at is like, man, that is amazing, It's beautiful, especially after like a windy week, you know. There's not a dust cloud in the air because the 80-mile-an-hour winds just send it on to Riverside, you know. You just look out at the sunset, and you're like, that is amazing. It's beautiful. When you are in awe of creation, it actually points to a creator. And what God says, this is actually written into us. That's why it's plain to us. When you look at the Grand Canyon, when you see birds that fly south for winter because they know north will be too cold, they won't have food, and they'll die, and they do that. They, there's an understanding of God at work in creation. There should be a part of us that step back in, in awe and say, wow, there is something beyond ourselves. And so God as creator is a key assumption. And what the scriptures say that we can know him, Now, we can't know the full revelation of God. This is what the scripture is called general revelation. Generally, we can know in our conscience and through creation, there is a God. But what tends to happen, we don't take uh, this reality and, and learn. But here's the challenge for all of us related to wisdom. There is a reality outside of ourselves, and it has patterns that we can discover. In fact, the, the animals do that. They know how seasons work. But as humans, oftentimes, we can become so sophisticated in our image of God and what we know and our morality that we actually turn away from the things of God and act like he doesn't exist. But wisdom, the assumption is there is a reality outside of ourselves, and it can be discovered. And there's patterns that you can learn. You can learn about life so you don't have to keep reliving the same things over and over again. The reason I bring this up is we live in a time where this is not true to most people. Because most people think that the only reality is themselves. And in fact, that's what's taught in schools. It's humanism. Like, there is not a God. And since God doesn't exist, we are the center of the universe. And since we're the center of the universe, we can define morality. And if we can define morality, we can decide whatever it is that we feel is right. And that's why things change so much at a rapid pace. It's all connected to our assumption of God as creator or or not. But the way of wisdom is, is actually this is real. There's patterns. And if there's a creator outside of ourselves, we really need to learn his ways. Because that's going to impact our life. Check out the passage in Romans as it continues. Listen to the, 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 the verbiage here. So for all they knew God, remember, it was plain in their conscience and in creation. For all that they knew in those two ways, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Can you think of an example of this right now? Of Just people, they can see things clearly, but they do not honor or thank God. In fact, that's in all of our hearts. There's just a pull. We want to do things our own way and act like God doesn't exist. Because we want what we want. They didn't give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. This word futile is literally without purpose. It's like a void. They became futile, that is purposeless or meaningless in their thinking. The more sophisticated the thinking without God, the more meaningless it is. That's what wisdom teaches us. This to me is actually so sad. Because if you ignore that God exists, you may have a ton of great ideas, but at the end of the day, there's no purpose. It's meaningless. 
And I see this again and again in our cities, in our state, in our country, in our world. Sophisticated thinking, but no meaning to it. And it goes on. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This is really important. The more you ignore God, and the more you do what your own ways say to do, and the further you think you're your own God, and you can define morality, the more blind you become. And the scary thing about that is the more blind you become, the less you see. And the less you see, the more futile in your thinking. This is happening again and again and again. So as the church, we have to be beacons of hope for people that are darkened. We have to say, there is another way. You're blind and you can't see, but the Lord Jesus will give you sight. If you acknowledge he's there and you bow the knee to him, you surrender, he'll change your life. And then verse 22, notice what happens. The longing for wisdom, claiming to be wise. They're darkened, they're futile, but they claim to be wise. They became what? Fools. The world without God. The more wise you think you become, the more foolish you actually are. If this is real, folks, this changes our lives. This is real. Not just true, but if it's real, if this impacts us, our interactions with people, the way we handle our life, this is serious. And then verse 23, and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, full circle. God is the creator, made us in his image. He made this creation, which cries out his existence. But yet we ignore him. We act like he doesn't exist. And instead of worshiping the creator, we make idols and worship what he created. You know how crazy that is to think about? But this is reality. In our world, it's just an exchange all the time. I will not bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. I will not follow his ways. I exist within myself. I'm accountable to no one. The more darkened you become, the more meaningless your life is. And then you decide to worship things that God made himself. This is why we need to be a church that continues to gather and ask God to speak to us because all of us can get pulled into the dark places. All of us. So God is creator. That's the first assumption. I just thought I'd start a little light, a little lighthearted, right? Now let's get into some real stuff. All right. Second, God is holy and sovereign. So not only is he creator, like he's there and he's real, but he has certain characteristics. And what the scriptures say is he, he's holy and he's sovereign. That impacts, again, what we do. This is a step further. Uh, Leviticus 11.45, this is in the Old Testament. Notice God's relationship. He's, he's describing himself. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So notice, it's not just creator here. What's God doing? He's guiding. He's guiding personally. I'm releasing you from the darkness in Egypt. They were slaves. Christ does the same thing. He releases us from the slavery to sin. And then he says, you shall therefore be holy because I am holy. Now, holy is not a word that we use, and if we do, usually we can't say it in church. But holy means this, pure and zealous for what is right and good. Pure and zealous for what is right and good. You know what? Will you guys forgive me? I just made like a coarse joke about holy, not saying in church. Will you forgive me for saying that? Talk about God is holy and sovereign. I don't want to make a mockery of like a cuss word. So will you forgive me? Thank you. Appreciate that. I told you this is real. Even me, I'm pulled into the darkness as, as we speak. But holy is pure and zealous for what is, is right and good. This is, this is who God is. There's a holiness to him. So if we follow him, like we, we have to have that, that same holiness, which we don't do perfectly. We mess up. I mess up all the time. I say things just like I just did without thinking. I belittle people. I judge people. 
God says to do something, and I do the opposite. So the, the battle is on. Like we, We're not holy within ourselves, but there's a sense of, like, God, I want to move to your ways and doing things in the right way, what's righteous and holy, because that's who you are. God, will you help me? And every day we choose to read the scriptures because we need his light to illuminate the darkness of our own hearts. And he's holy. And so uh, if we assume that God is holy, this should impact what we do. Why? Because if he's holy, we have to be holy. So I was thinking about this. Does that mean you can cheat on your taxes? Well, no. Not if you believe God is holy. If that's true and real, that means you can't do certain things. Does that mean you can lie as like a pattern of your life and deceive people? No. Why? Because that's not holy. That's not pure. Pursuing what is right and what is, what is good. Wisdom says no. If God's holy, you, you, you can't do certain things. But God is also sovereign, which means even in the things that are broken... God is working. And you find this in Job, the book of Job, uh, chapter 42. If you've never read Job, Job is an account of tragedy after tragedy that befalled on a righteous man, Job. And it's a lesson of, of really God's sovereignty and how he helps in the middle of the ashes of life, the pain. And notice what Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's an assumption about God. Like He's real, he's working, and his purposes will stand. They will come to fruition. They will help. Now, I don't know if you've heard about the problem of evil. You ever heard of this? Maybe learned about that in high school or philosophy class in college. And that is, how can a God be holy and sovereign and good and loving and then evil exist? Well, God is holy, and he is sovereign, but he has never sinned. That's what we did. As creatures made in his being, what Adam and Eve did, they, God gave them everything. But what they want, the one thing that he said you couldn't have, that's sin. Like in itself, it's like God gives the boundary and we're always pulled to go past the boundary. And they did and they sinned. And ever since then, sin has infected all of us. Now God could get rid of sin if he wanted to. And it not, evil not exist. But guess what? We would all be wiped out because we're all infected with sin. So the very problem of evil is actually connected to the love of God. He can't rid of sin entirely because we're all infected with it. For him to get rid of evil would mean we're, we're no longer here. But out of his love, he waits for all of us to turn to him in repentance, to go his way. And what Job is saying is that God can do anything he wants And he'll use even the difficult stuff for his purposes. I was thinking about this in my own life, just how God helps and how he sees me, how he's working. And I've shared this with some of you, but I come, you know, from from a broken family. Like my parents got divorced and my family line is full of divorce, full of affairs, uh, full of just the stain of broken relationships. And some of you, you you probably experienced that as well. But a lot of marriages have been broken. My family line is broken. There's been hurt. There's been pain. Generational sin is real. And I've experienced that in in my own life. The fight to kind of make, like, how do I move forward with just, I don't know, the, the stain and shame of our lives. And I think all of us wrestle with that. So sin, sin is real. What happens to us is real. But God being holy and sovereign means that uh, my own choices, they, they really do matter. And I have to choose to, you know, how I respond. And this leads to this next point of God being holy and sovereign. Yeah, sovereign is God's right and power to do all he decides to do. In the next slide, put the next one. It says, our morality figures into our success in the world. So I, I was thinking about this just related to my own life. Given all of the background of my family line, I realized that we had a few choices. And this is how wisdom and God's holiness and sovereign work it out into real life. Well, there's a few approaches we could have had. Uh, all of the marriages on my family line, for the most part, not all of them, but most of them, like they failed. And so one approach to marriage with my wife could have been like, let's not 
get married because the marriages don't seem to succeed. Uh, Let's just live together and see how that goes. It's a normal approach. You see that all across the world. The issue is, though, is that violates God's holiness because a man and woman should be married through a commitment and the two become one. So God's holiness prevented that choice to to us. Uh, The second choice is uh, we could get married and then just bail uh, when it gets tough. And we see that. But that also violates God's ways. Because it's a covenant that you make. It's a covenant you should keep till death do you part. So that's the second. Or uh, the approach we chose was divorce wouldn't be an option. And that is despite what's happened to us and despite my experiences and the, the, the frailty and brokenness of relationships and marriages that didn't work, God in his sovereignty and his holiness will work this out. He will work the brokenness and he will build something out of the ashes. And so for us, we decided divorce was not going to be an option. But that also meant that there's boundaries on what we will or will not do. Divorce not being an option means there's certain things we have to do to prevent that from happening. We need to put boundaries and hedges and protections into our marriage. This is how the holiness and sovereignty of God, and we trust God that, God, you will work out your good. You will do what's needed to redeem things that are, that are very difficult. So God is not only the creator, but he's holy and sovereign. He's working even in the things that seem like there's no hope. And this June, my wife and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. And that's, you know, not to thank you for that, but that's not for that. But that's by the grace of God. Because we chose, even despite the case studies we've seen where it didn't work, we trust that God has commanded us to be married and be committed. And he will hold it together. That's what God does. So that's how the true and real works. Holy and sovereign, he is the creator. And then the third, God is close to us, and these keep building on each other. This is also in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. This is God speaking, and he says, Am I... A God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. That is a really good question. Is he here, or isn't he a galaxy far, far away? It's a good question. Verse 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? If you think you can hide from God, does that impact what you do? Absolutely. It absolutely impacts what we can do. I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? What he's saying is like, am I not everywhere? Everywhere you are, I am there. Because I'm the creator. And I'm close at hand. The reason I bring this up is oftentimes for us, we have to move past a young perspective in the faith where we see God as like a CHP motorcycle cop on the side of the road. I bring the motorcycles because those guys are sneaky sometimes. You can't see them. But what do you notice about, you know, if you speed? And I, you know, I'm sure we all struggle with that at different times. But when are we on our best driving? When there's a cop. And in fact, we appreciate the people in front of us that start pumping their brakes. Oh, oh. I think there's a cop. I think there's a... I think there's somebody on the freeway and we start, we're like, we're going 68. We're not even going 70. 68, just look at the officer, nothing to see here, right? And then like, we get past enough and then all of us, for the most part, think like, how far do I need to be ahead of the cop before I can speed again? Like, when can I go to 78 instead of 68, right? And then, then you see maybe a cop on the other side of the freeway and you start analyzing, well, that's on the other side. I mean, they could get to me, but it'd be hard. We start testing, you know. Anyone ever do this? If not, this is really, I'm really laying myself out there. Uh, But oftentimes, that's how we approach God. 
He's not really at hand unless something happens and it's like we see the sirens. Oh, he's mad at me or, oh, I've screwed up or the bottom's falling out. God's here. Wisdom says God is close at hand all the time. So you call to him. You ask him for help. He's not just just a blip on your journey. He's with you every single time. And everywhere you go, he's there. Do you know how many like dumb things I would have prevented in my life if this was real to me? God is watching. He's seeing. I can't hide. Nothing is hidden from his sight, God's word says. But everything is laid bare for him who must give an account. This is real. Not only does God see it, but we have to answer for it. That's pretty sobering, right? Everywhere there's heaven and earth, there is God. So that's a key assumption. He wants to walk with us through it, which leads uh, to the last one, the last assumption. Love is at the core. Now, creator, holy and sovereign, close to us, this can have an edge of like fear. But, but certain fear is actually important. I'm going to talk about that next week. Certain fear can lead to wisdom. That is, God's real. And his commands are serious. And if I take him seriously, I can make a lot of progress in life. But this, this is good news. At the core of it all, the creator making us, the creator setting an example, giving morality, being holy and being sovereign, it's connected to this. Love is at the core. If you grew up in church, this passage is probably going to be a reminder of the vacation Bible school or maybe Awana's back in the day, but John 3, 16. Let's read it together. One, two, three. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There is a beauty in this that is beyond expression. Because if you think of everything I talked about from Romans, that we know God is there because of what we see, and we know God is there because of our conscience, but yet we turn away from him, We want nothing to do with him. We're darkened. We're futile. And then God says, guess what? I still love you. Wisdom is never away from this core that love is at the center of what God wants to do. I don't know about you. It's easy to struggle with condemnation. Do you ever condemn yourself? or just feel overwhelmed by shame, or discouraged, feel like you can't grow, you can't move ahead, you struggle with the same things. What the scriptures is telling us is like, the good news is, because we're all futile without God, he's the only one that can make the situation right. We can't earn his favor. We can't. Because we're darkened, we're futile. God does all of the work, and his motivation is love. That's why he sent Jesus. So wisdom understands. It's not the complexity of just me understanding my place in the world. It's at the core, a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus, who died for my own futility. That's the gospel. The gospel in the scriptures is literally the good news. And I just want to share this with you. It's a reminder. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, that is become a Christian and you're not born a Christian, okay? You don't just born a Christian because your family was Christian. You're not just Christian because you're an American. You have to choose to be a Christian. It's something that you decide in space and time and in your life. Like, I'm going to surrender to a king. Like, I'm going to bow my knee to the living God. You make a decision, and you follow in his ways. And, and, and this is what the gospel is at the core. You could put that up there. God created us to be with him. That's in the beginning, like Adam and Eve. It started in Genesis chapter 1. And that's even why Romans explains that he made us in his image. He made us in his image so we can relate to him. 
There's a connection there. The second, our sin separated us from God. That is us turning away. That's the futility of our thinking. The third, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We live in a culture that it, everyone's trying to prove they, they're doing the right thing. We all want the appearance of good. We want the appearance that we're doing right. Actually, the way we're messed up, there's nothing we could do to clean it. It's not cleaned by human hands. The next one, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. The only payment is not our own deeds, but Christ's, who never sinned. See why that's important? Why? Because God is holy. And because he's holy, we're blemished. We cannot fix the sin problem because we're not holy. The only way for us to connect back to a holy God was for him to send his holy son who had no sin in him, who was not guilty of anything, but yet died freely on our behalf. And the payment was made. The payment for our sin was made not by our deeds, but by Jesus dying and rising again. And the next, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Everyone. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because you can't remove the stain of your deeds, it doesn't disqualify you because of Christ. You can choose to follow Jesus, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever you have done, and you can have eternal life. And then the last, the L. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. The God who is creator and almighty, the one who is holy and sovereign, the one who is close at hand, and whose sole motivation is to love us, we can actually have a relationship with him. And it changes our life here and now. And it extends onto forever. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why we exist as a church, people. Because there's people that are darkened. They claim to be wise, but they're foolish. They're without hope. They're without meaning. And as a church, our role is to share this. We have a duty to share what is real. Love is at the core, and it's found in Jesus. Well, there you go. That's all I got today. Hopefully, I gave you some things to think about. I just want to say, this has actually been really challenging to me personally. The reason I bring that up is oftentimes, like as a pastor, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking about things and I'm studying things and there's like the pastor role for preaching. Uh, and in that, there's things that God speaks to me. And again and again, as I was going through this, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what if I lived as this was true? Like every moment. I think of just my perspective would be different. Like as I give in to fear or worry or anxiety, why would I? Because God is close at hand. And he loves me, and he's going to help. So this is just, I, I, have to, I have to preach this to myself. And so I want to give you just some next steps, and these are things I'm, you know, thinking about as well. But the first, if you've never committed your life to Christ as the band comes up, um, we exist. We want to help unchurched people, people disconnected from God. We want to help you connect to God. That's how wisdom will come to your life. But if you've never decided to become a Christian, I mark that next, next step. We think that's the, important, the most important decision you could ever make. We want to help connect you to the living God who wants to guide you. And so if you've never done that, I mark that uh, on your, your connection card. There's a place that you can say, contact me about following Jesus. Uh, do that. And we really do contact you. Like, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to help clarify what it means to follow Jesus. So let us know if that's you and you want to decide to give your life to Christ. Uh, the second... Ben talked about this. I've mentioned it. Just sign up for a Wisdom a Connect group. I think that will be a real help uh, to you. So if you haven't yet, uh, sign up for that. And then last, this can seem kind of random because I haven't talked about it yet, but there's two books that have greatly helped me related to assumptions about God and how it impacts our life. Uh, the first is The Hiding Place. It's the story of Corey, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she was in a concentration camp in World War II, uh, and she's a follower of Jesus. And the next is Hudson Taylor's Spiritual a Secret. Uh, sometimes we need to read 
like a story about somebody else to see how God is not only true and real. And in both these cases, you could see the, the assumptions they had and how that impacted their life. And so I encourage you, if you never read these, if you never read this, start here. This is like one of my favorite books ever. But it's really good in terms of how do they actually live differently? And so sometimes just a good biography, a good story uh, can help us with that. So let me pray. Uh, we're going to receive our offering in a moment. Uh, let us know on your connection card how we could pray for you, the next steps you want to take. We take that very seriously. Uh, thank you for all of you who, who give uh, to our church. It's through your giving, through tithes and offerings, your generosity, that we can continue uh, to reach people for Jesus. And so thank you for the ways that, that you do that. And uh, let us know if you have a prayer request. If you want prayer after the service, come find me. I would love uh, to pray for you. And speaking of that, let, let's pray right now. God, we're, we're overwhelmed by the complexity of life and at the same time, the fact that you have thought about everything. You made us and we rebelled. And then you sent Jesus so that we could connect back with you and we still sin and we struggle and yet you still continue to give us grace and you give us favor. And you want to teach us and you want to help us and you, you guide us. And this is not some ancient testimony. This is real. It's here and now. God, will you help us to see our lives right now with what we're facing and how you want to be involved in the very details? God, will you give us a desire for your word to read it, to understand it, and to live it out? Will you give us a hunger for things which are holy? And God, help us see the things in our life that are not pleasing to you, that do not represent your ways so that we can move past them and grow in wisdom. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who was raised from the dead. Amen.